0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And God's word reads as follows. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. Amen. Well, have you ever
1: felt uh, inadequate, ill really equipped, unprepared, unqualified to accomplish a certain task or assignment? Most of us can probably identify with that, that feeling. If you can identify with that feeling, well, then maybe you just need to do something, get up off your feet and do something. because all of us, all of us, have feelings of inadequacy. It's common, and it should be more so for, for the Christian. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter two and verse 16, after talking about the ministry of preaching and the gospel, he exclaims, "Who is sufficient for these things?" And I say, "Amen, Paul, who is sufficient for these things?" Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ is made up of inadequate people. People who in and of themselves are not good enough or equipped enough to carry out what the Lord has called us to do. In and of ourselves, we could not accomplish the task set before us. This no doubt is the feeling of the 120 who were in the upper room, isn't it? They were witnesses to the ascension of Jesus Christ. And their last encounter with him on earth was was marked with some assignments. And the first assignment they were given was that they were to wait. They were to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Their second assignment was given to them in Acts 1.8. These Fishermen, these common, ordinary men and women from Galilee were tasked with taking the witness or being witnesses of Jesus Christ to the world. They were to go to the world and be witnesses for Jesus. They were to proclaim that Jesus was the long prophesied Messiah. And instead of leading a military campaign and overthrowing the Roman government, this Jesus died a criminal's death, put to open shame on a Roman cross. Buried. He was buried and rose again three days later, appeared to them, and then ascended into heaven. This is the message that they were supposed to proclaim To all the world. First, to those who crucified Jesus and then on to the world. If you think sharing this message is hard for us today, can you imagine how difficult and how significant a task this would have been for the disciples? You want to talk about inadequate and unqualified, ill-equipped to accomplish this this large and this awesome task that they were given. But despite all that, here they are in the upper room devoting themselves to prayer, waiting for the Holy Spirit just as God had commanded them to do. You know, following God's commands doesn't mean that you are not going to have doubts and fears and anxieties. It, it does not mean you will be free from feelings of inadequacy. I mean, listen, we are sinful people. Sinful human beings with fallen, fickle emotions. But that doesn't mean that we disobey the commands of God. 120, despite, despite their feelings of inadequacy, their, their, their fear... They obeyed the command of God and went to Jerusalem and waited for the Holy Spirit. Our text this morning tells us that the day of Pentecost had arrived. And now, now many of us may be familiar with the term Pentecost. Some of, you, some of you grew up in Pentecostal churches. And so for you, this term, this term is very familiar to you. For those churches get their name from this text that we study this morning. Pentecost Pentecost means 50th and and the day of Pentecost marked the 50th day after Passover. There would be a celebration known by various names throughout Israel's history. Perhaps the most common name being the Festival of Weeks where the the the, uh, the the Jews celebrated the the harvest that was to come you see it 's important that we get this context before fully jumping into the text because there there may be some confusion regarding Pentecost. You see while the day of Pentecost was a day celebrated numerous times in in israel 's history, the events that happened. At this day of Pentecost, this day that the the events that we read about in Acts chapter 2 are unique. Pentecost may have been celebrated several times. But we must note and understand that what we read about here in Acts is a one-time, unrepeatable event. You see... I believe that that is where the Pentecostals go wrong, who again get their name from, from this text. For, for them, the belief is that the events of Pentecost are repeated over and over again. There is the thought that the miraculous events that took place on that day are regular occurrences for the church, something that we as believers should be looking to experience on an ongoing basis. Well, I think I think the Pentecostals get it wrong. And unfortunately, that is the danger that you run into when you don't interpret the scriptures within their redemptive context. Listen, you can make the, the Bible say a whole lot of things. You can confuse a whole lot of people by piecemealing the Bible, taking this event and taking this, 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 this teaching and, and building a doctrine and, and your church off of that one text. But, but that is not how we are to handle Scripture. We are to take the events that the Bible present us with and interpret them with Scriptures, putting them in their redemptive historical context in other words we are to view them in light of the plan of god otherwise most events in the bible they just they just don't make sense passover putting the blood of the 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 lamb on the doorpost doesn't make sense unless you understand the redemptive plan of god Like we learned last week, Judas leaves you confused and scratching your head if you don't understand the plan of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus dying a gruesome death on a Roman cross is unbelievable. It's unfathomable unless it is placed in the context of redemptive history. Ask the men that that Jesus encountered on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Jesus, the uh, long-promised Messiah, the ones who they thought was going to be the Messiah, is dead and they're confused. They're trying to figure out what happened. And Jesus opens up the scriptures to them and explains to them the plan of God. If that is the case for Pentecost. Is that, if, if that is the, the case for the crucifixion, if that is the case for the resurrection, then we must place the events that happened at Pentecost in their redemptive context as well. And therefore, we need to list Pentecost in the same category as the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. All one-time, unique, unrepeatable events. Let's look at the reason why the coming of the Spirit, coming of the Holy Spirit, was unique. The, The uniqueness of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see we see it in the power on display. The, the hundred and twenty are in the upper room and they are praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit. When, when suddenly we read in verse two, there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Even though they were they were waiting and they knew to expect something, or in this case, someone. It apparently caught them off guard because suddenly, suddenly they heard something. I think it caught them off guard because of the, the power and the volume that was on display. Now notice, the text does not say that there was a wind that blew through. but That which sounded like a mighty Rushing wind, a violent wind, should not be lost on us when the Bible speaks about the spirit of God, Holy Spirit. It often compares his work to that of wind. In fact, both the Hebrew and Greek word for spirit means wind. This is never more clear than when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter Three, Jesus is ex- explaining how one is born again, speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in verse 8 of chapter 3. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus here compares, compares the work of the Spirit to wind. Oh, well, why wind? I don't know if you've ever realized it if you've been in a windstorm or, or seen the, the wind on TV, but the, the wind is powerful. Wind is powerful. When wind is mentioned in the Bible, it signifies and displays power. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. After Noah is on the ark. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Uh, we see there the, the power of the wind. All the waters from the flood subsided by the power of the wind. Jeremiah 51 And 16, when Jeremiah is is talking about the power of God, he says this. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. And he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. And he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. We see the, the powerful working of the wind in jonah did we not when jonah was on the sea we saw the wind rise up and we saw the the power of god displayed then when he when the east wind comes and withers the plant that had given jonah shade we see the the wind with the disciples on the sea of galilee as the as the wind is rising up and they are scared because this wind is powerful wind is indeed powerful hence the comparison Luke makes he wants us to realize that this was no ordinary happening the emphasis being on the sound the sound filled the entire room it was loud it was it was unmistakable this is this is unique this was to signify the, the significant power that, that, that Jesus said would come. The power of the Holy Spirit that he, that he speaks about in Luke 24 and 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on a high. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how you, how you view the person of the Holy Spirit, but, but you should see him as all-powerful. He is God. When Holy Spirit co- comes upon you, you receive pa- the power of God. Here was the Father pouring out his power on his Church. Not only do we see the uniqueness of this event and the power, the power that was on display, but, but we also seek see the, 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 the uniqueness and the presence of God, the presence of God at this particular event. Look at verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So as they are there in the room and and startled by the the sheer magnitude of the sound that they are hearing, more than likely covering their ears because it is, is so loud, what looks like tongues of fire begin to descend on everyone and rest on everyone gathered in the room. While they could not see this 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 sound like a mighty Russian wind, while they could only hear it, they could see the tongues of of fire resting on each other. This fire was to signify the presence, the presence of God. Again, that that is a symbol we see throughout Scripture. We, We see the fire representing God's presence with Moses, don't we? With Moses and the burning bush. We see this at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 18, when when God was giving his law. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. It was clear. It was clear to those present in that upper room. As the tongues of, or what appeared like tongues of fire descended on each of the believers, they, they realized that this, that what was being represented is, is, is the presence of God. And that God, as you see that the tongues are divided on each of them, that God was no longer just with his people corporately, but he was with them individually. Present With them, resting on each of them. That is why we see the fire resting on each individual. It is what John the Baptist promised would happen when Christ came. John says in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but... He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This here is unique. We see the uniqueness of the power of God that was on display. The visible presence of God, but we also see the uniqueness of this event, because on that day, a miracle took place. Verses 4 through 8. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Soon after the, the tongues of what appears like tongues of fire descend on the believers, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues, not other tongue, uh, not another tongue, but other tongues, plural, as the Spirit gave them the ability to do. Now, some have understood tongues to be. An a static, heavenly language, unintelligible, that is, between the speaker and God. Unintelligible to the common ear. And in order for others who are in the presence of the speaker to understand them, there needs to be an interpreter. But it is evident that this is not the case Here. Because as the 120 are speaking in these other languages, those who were in Jerusalem for the festival of weeks were outside the house and heard these men and women of Galilee, these uncommon, uneducated men and women, they heard them speaking in their own language, in their own Dialect, for the Greek word for tongues here means languages or dialect. Brothers and sisters, this here was a miracle. I, uh, I took um, Spanish, right, um, in middle school, maybe about three years of middle school. Uh, I think I took it like three years in high school, and I know I took Spanish two years in college. And the best that I can do is no hablo espanol. <laughs> right, Mother's Guy? Is that right? Yeah, see? No hablo espanol. I don't do well with languages. So, what happened here? Is if all of the sudden there was somebody who spoke Japanese here in this service, and I, with no prior experience in Japanese, began to speak Japanese fluently, and they heard it. Brothers and sisters, what happened here was a miracle. There is no denying it. Those unlearned men and women from Galilee were speaking in languages that they did not know or understand, and they were doing so fluently, fluently. We, we know this to be a miracle because of the response of those hearing it. They, twice, Luke tells us that, that they were amazed and astonished. He also says that they were perplexed. These are, these are words that accompany the miracles of Jesus. When Jesus performed these miracles, people were uh, astonished and amazed. There's no denying what happened on the day of Pentecost was a miracle. That, accompanied with the power that was on display and the presence of God, all point to the uniqueness of this event. Now, why is it so important that we understand this? Why did I take the bulk of the sermon with this? Because we need to understand That the baptism of the Spirit, as Jesus says in Acts 1-5, is something that all believers receive at conversion. Pentecostals, and I don't want to just pick on Pentecostals, but there are others that believe this as well. Believe and would have people believe that the baptism of the Spirit is something that you receive after conversion. That it is a second experience that comes and it's evidenced by the speaking in tongues. They use this text to convince people who have trusted Christ that they are missing out on something. That there's this extra power that that they have not yet obtained because they have not evidenced the baptism of the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues. Let me be very, very clear. All those who have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're not missing anything. You can't trust Christ unless you have been baptized with the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. When God sends to us the, the person of Holy Spirit, he does not take him away. He pours his spirit into our hearts, enabling us to cry, Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, the events at Pentecost were unique. I can't say it enough. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see the events of this day repeated like that. Nowhere else do we see people speaking in other languages and no interpreter needing to be there for people to understand. Yes, yes, Holy Spirit powerfully changes our heart of stone into our heart of flesh. But I don't know about you. But when he did that to me, I did not hear what sounded like that of a mighty rushing wind. Did you? I have seen people turn from their sin and trust Christ genuinely converted, and I know unless I blinked and missed it, I did not see what looked like or appeared to be fire descend upon them. Brothers and sisters, Pentecostals and those who believe this don't see it either. There is no doubt that a miracle happened that day. And contrary to popular belief, Miracles are not as common as we think they are. If they were, they would not be miraculous. In order to understand what what happened on that day, in order to understand Pentecost rightly, we need to put it in line with the other events. The disciples saw and heard the crucifixion. They saw our risen Lord and heard his voice. They saw and heard him ascend into heaven. And they saw and heard him send forth his spirit into the world. All one-time unique events. Now that we have had an opportunity to see the uniqueness of the coming of the Spirit, let's look at the reason For the coming of the Spirit. The reason for the coming of the Spirit. We once again must return to God's redemptive historical plan. And understand that that God had a plan to unite his church. God has worked throughout history to redeem a people for his own glory. For his own possession. The events at Pentecost once again point us to that grand plan that he had. To rightly see it, we need to return to Genesis chapter eleven. Genesis eleven is where we hear the account of the Tower of Babel, right, where the people began to, to unite they, the people of the of the earth were all uh, spoke the same language and, and they began to unite and, and build a tower up. To the heavens. Their desire was to reach God. But it was not in an act of worship. But it is so that they could make a name. For themselves. God seeing. The intentions of their heart. And and the wickedness that that, that enveloped their heart. This this prideful arrogance. to, To seek to reach God. By their own doing. To make a name for themselves. God sees it. And he says, I am going to confuse their language and scatter them across the earth. But God's redemptive plan was a plan that included the nations. He tells Abraham that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. But but how would God do it? Well, he would do it through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, uniting his people together. He would give his only son up for the nations. He would sacrifice him on account of his children who were dispersed throughout the world. But someone had to tell this message to the world. Someone had to go and explain, here are these unlearned men and women, ill-equipped, inadequate, being told that they were the ones that were going to take this message to the world. Remember Acts 1.8, once again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason for Acts two is given in Acts 1-8. God was empowering the disciples and the other believers to take the gospel to the world. While he had confused the language at the Tower of Babel, he is now uniting his people through the language of the gospel. The miracle of the tongue speakers is demonstrating God's concern for the nation. His next phase in his redemptive plan. And brothers and sisters, this reminds us that nothing, nothing would stop God from uniting his church. Uniting them around the message of the gospel so that all those who were in Jerusalem would understand that they were hearing the gospel message in their own languages. He was gathering his scattered people from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. Hence, Luke's listing of all the people who were in Jerusalem at the time. In verses 9 through 11, listening to the 120 speak in their own languages, Jews who had been dispersed at the Tower of Babel, all hearing their own language, the message of, of God in their own language. Here is was God uniting this, this people together. Alistair Begg says, this is at, at the Tower of Babel, it was the people trying to get to God, but here in Acts 2, it is God coming to his people. Oh, this was a significant event. God was building his church from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We also see that the reason for the Holy Spirit coming was to empower, to empower his believers. It says that the 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit And they were filled with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the plan of of God. What plan? The redemption of God's people through the proclamation of Christ. When filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Isn't that what the 120 do? They, They are not testifying about themselves. But they're testifying about the works of God. Which brings us to the term. Filled with the Holy Spirit that we find in verse 4. While baptism, while, while baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event, the, the Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit, the scriptures seem to indicate, is something that continually happens. We see this in Ephesians 5.18 where Paul says, "And do not get drunk with the with wine but for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit the, the exhortation here is to not be completely taken up with wine but to be taken up with the spirit and and notice what it is for ephesians 5 and 19 goes on to say it's for godly community living addressing one another in psalms and in and in hymns and in spiritual songs Singing and making melody to the Lord with your with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here is the reason why we are to be filled with, with the Spirit in order so that we could live godly lives in godly community. This is Paul's point in in Ephesians five eighteen, but there are other reasons for the filling of the holy spirit to combat the works of the flesh galatians 5:16 where we are admonished we are exhorted to to walk in the spirit but also but also the the empowering of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be used in service by God to accomplish His plans. That is what we see happening here in Acts. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues, not as evidence of baptism of the Holy Spirit, but because God wanted to use them in service to accomplish His plans plan to spread his gospel over and over and over again as we continue to make our way through the book of acts we will see over and over again believers full full of the holy spirit being used in the service of god throughout acts the filling of the holy spirit The filling of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied with the proclamation of Christ. There is a boldness that the believers receive in order not to promote themselves. Foolishness doesn't break out. Nonsense, disorder. But the proclamation of Christ. When the Holy Spirit fills a believer, he accomplishes what he is sent to do. Namely, to show to show off Christ. Brothers and sisters. Whether it is godly living. Defeating sin. Or gospel proclamation. The star is always Christ. When you are living a godly life. In community. The, the, it's not to. You're not telling people look at me. You're telling people look at Christ. For he has empowered me. To live this way. Brothers and sisters, this should encourage us, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be used by God in his service. But get this, we are not, we are not to get caught up in being used in miraculous ways. Seeking to be used the same exact way the apostles were used in Acts. No. We are to be witnesses, witnesses for Christ, and he will use us however he sees fit. Just don't sit there in a room trying to repeat the events that happened at Pentecost. Go be a witness for Christ. Brothers and sisters, the coming of the holy spirit is to empower us to be united as a people of god to take the gospel to the nations we see the uniqueness of the coming we see we see the reason for the coming of the holy spirit lastly we see the response of these hearers The response of the hearers that that hear this this message. Our our text ends with, with two responses to these events. There are those who want to know more, and then there are those who want to mock. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked. Mocking said they are filled with. New wine. Brothers and sisters, the, the, the responses the disciples heard that day are no different than the responses all, of all of those who hear the message of Christ. It is the same response of those who witnessed the miracles of Christ. it's never more evident. In our text, there were there were some who who saw this miracle happen and and they wanted to hear more. They they wanted an explanation. Who is this this God that you are speaking of in these mighty acts that he has performed? Tell me more. I want to hear more. Others, however, mocked them, mocked them, saying they they must have had too much to drink up there in that upper room. They witnessed a move of God, and all they could do is make jokes. Brothers and sisters, people have said it all the time, and I'm I'm reminded of it again when I read this text here. You know, there are people that, that say, well, I would believe in God if he would perform a miracle in my sight. And brothers and sisters, that's not true. That is not true. Because there are those, there are plenty throughout history that witnessed miraculous events and they still did not believe. There were those who saw Jesus feed 5,000 people from a loaf and two fish, and they still didn't believe. You don't believe in Jesus because you see miracles. You believe because you see and hear Jesus. That's why you believe. The Holy Spirit changes your heart and all you see, all you hear is Christ. And he is glorious and he is beautiful. You don't mock and make jokes. It is clear that those who responded by mocking did not see nor hear Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the same response that we receive. This is what we can expect from those whom we share the message with. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill us in order to save people. He fills us. Christ saves. He fills us to empower us to proclaim the gospel to people knowing full well that there will be those who receive it and those who reject it. You remember, you remember what we what we said at the beginning when I quoted 2 Corinthians 2:16 Paul rhetorically asking the question who is sufficient for these things? Do you know what he says right before that? He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To others, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not Like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That's the response that as we go proclaiming the gospel, there will be some who want to know more, who receive it. It will be from life to life. There will be others who mock and it will be from death to death. That is the response to the proclamation of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, who is sufficient for these things? Who is adequate? Who is capable? Who is equipped? Those who are empowered by the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, what happened at Pentecost is God empowering his church to fulfill Acts 1.8. You, you, brothers and sisters, are in the long line of believers throughout history who have been empowered by Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the nations, not to sit in a room trying to reinvent what happened at Pentecost. Go, go and be a witness for Christ.
0: Let us pray.